0: as we get into today's episode, uh, the episode, I didn't really mention what the episode is going to be about in the intro. Obviously wanted to give a shout out to, uh, Jeff Baker, uh, over at TTM cast, uh, the, what we're going to be talking about on today's podcast is that so Filth Bomb Breaks, who I've worked with, those guys, I mean, phenomenal guys. Um, I met a lot of them at the National. Again, like I said, phenomenal guys. I met them. Uh, they pulled the the Otani Babe Ruth cut autograph that was coming out of Definitive. And the card, and I meant to actually talk about this a while ago when the card was pulled. It's again, it's one of the, uh, I, I guess, I don't know if Tops has a name for it, but it's like the white glove service. Like I know that they were doing that for some of the, they were doing that for some of the one of one patch cards, for, uh, the the debut rookie patch cards. They were doing redemptions that looked like the cards, rather than doing the actual cards in the pack, so that way they could make sure they could uh, send out the cards as safely as possible. So that way, you know, I don't know if you want to get them graded or they would just be in the best best um, uh, best shape possible. So filth bomb breaks. They pulled the 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 one of their because there's two one of one Otani Babe Ruth. They did one of both players batting and then one of both players pitching. So over the weekend, it came out that Filth Bomb Breaks actually purchased the card back. So uh, because the card was a uh, was an Angels and a Yankees, technically it belonged to two different owner. It belonged to two different people who bought into into the break. And each of the people that bought into the break, uh, they spent $75 on the break uh, at the time. And they agreed to split a $100,000 basically buyout, $50,000 piece, a piece for this card. Uh, which, you know, if you're buying into a $750 break, you're gambling in a sense, I would say. Like, obviously, I've talked about on this show breaking and the, the gambling aspect of it and if you're spending that, if, I mean, even honestly, if you're spending 20 or $30, you're just really gambling if you're doing breaking, like, even if you're just buying a box, but, so, they split it, and they, each of them got $50,000, I mean, this is also, I guess this is maybe a, uh, maybe it's a shout-out, maybe it's a reminder, uh, just make sure you're keeping track of all the stuff that you do for taxes, like, I don't necessarily have the one hundred. I don't have all the information on taxes. I know that uh, on Bench Clear Media, the past couple of years they've done a pretty good job at like discussing taxes, and you know, uh, I mean, my suggestion is to just track everything that you got and, and talk to a CPA. I mean, if you made fifty thousand dollars or you made whatever forty. or whatever on one card. Like, just go talk to a CPA. Like, you've got the money to talk to a CPA. And my suggestion in general with taxes is just save like 50%, 50% of the money that you made on a card which grants, like I said, you talk to a CPA, they'll give able to give you the more information because I'm sure there's a way you can deduct the cost of the card, which that will help your, your tax burden at the end of the year. Um, if this is a side hustle, there's obviously tons of different things that you need to kind of keep track of. And a professional will give you that information. So that's just my reminder. Talk to a tax professional, especially if you're pulling a card and you got a crazy, crazy pull, or you're making like a ton of sales. Talk to a professional about the taxes. Just make sure don't you know don't try and don't try and skate your way through. Even if you really only made like a couple thousand dollars, I think it's definitely worth looking into it because you know down the road who knows what could happen. Uh, but yeah, so this card is it, it was one of the one of ones for this Babe Ruth card. I think it was very. I think it's a cool card. I think obviously there being two of them. I think it was cool that they decided to do two different versions like a hitter and a pitcher version of the card. Um I'm wondering what exactly took as long as it did for them to come out with the card. I mean, I don't know if it was like Fanatics was trying to buy some Babe Ruth cut autographs or if they were waiting for Otani to go through free agency, to go into free agency, for them to come out with that product, because uh, there was also some news over this past weekend of the, uh, the card, or, or of Otani is going to be making his decision. Oh, also one other thing that I want to mention. So I'm recording this podcast around like 11.30 on Sunday night, so the, there, there is another Babe Ruth card, actually, and I should have probably mentioned this at the beginning of the show. Maybe if you're listening to this now, Maybe you'll hear a reminder at the beginning of the show. I, I'm recording this. The Babe Ruth card has not sold yet. There was like some crazy Babe Ruth card. So on tomorrow's show, I'm going to talk about that card. Uh, but so this this Babe Ruth uh, Otani, you know, the filth bomb breaks. They they bought it back, which I mean that's probably like best case scenario because it's like, and this is maybe one of the issues with with not issues, but this is a, this is an issue that can't happen with breaking. Is like when you have when the when the biggest card, and I'm wondering if tops will ever change this kind of thing like I'm wondering if they'll change this sort of thing in the future where it's like there're just there's two teams like it feels like tops has catered a little bit to breaking, and sports cards just in general is catered to breaking, so like the fact that there's two teams on this card like I I don't know how you really fix it necessarily. Like, I don't know what you're going to have to do. Like, if you make it... Because you obviously want Babe Ruth in the Yankees uniform. Like, you don't want Babe Ruth to be in a, like, non... In, in, in just, like, a gray uniform and just be any team. But also, at the same time, it's like, by coming out with this card, essentially, you're coming out with a card where if... You know, and especially in a product like Definitive. Like, I don't think... I would say... I don't know. I mean, maybe probably, like... Half of the definitive product is probably opened by breakers. Realistically, like I don't know how um, I would be surprised because it's like an expensive product, so it's like I don't know. I, this is this is a statistic that I don't know how you'd be able to prove or say or do or whatever. But like I'd be interested to know how much of this product was opened by breakers versus how much of this product was opened by someone just buying a box of it, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm saying that out loud, I bet you there's, I bet you it's more like 75 to 80% of this product is opened by breakers, because like, it's just not realistic, really, it's not just, it's just not realistic, for someone to pay for a box of this product, like, sure, maybe they get this Babe Ruth card, or maybe they pull some like, really good rookie, or something like that, but it's like, it really is almost hard to justify, like, unless you're like a high roller, sure, you know, whatever, but, it almost it, like if you're a high roller and you're you're buying this type of product like you know maybe you're the type of person that you're not even really selling the cards like that and that's a that's I a, think a, that is a I think an interesting little wrinkle to this situation where the product is being opened by people who like aren't selling the cards because like they just have the money to open the product, and they don't really need to sell the card. Like, So it is good that to see that you know the card is kind of coming out on social media. And again, I've talked about this on social media. It's cool nowadays that we get to see these cards, and we actually get to really see that they exist. And I was talking to – I was on Hobby Hotline. I think I was hosting a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking to Mike from Junk Wax Hero, and he was like – this is just a card that exists on social media and it's not one that you'll ever see, really. Like, it's there, there's an interesting, interesting, uh, d- what's the word dynamic there with like cards that are just they're on social media, but it's like you'll never really see them in person or you'll they'll never be able to be part of a collection. I think that's kind of an interesting, interesting piece to this as well. Like, especially now that you know, this card, I guess, in theory, will be seen somewhere i mean i don't know what filth bomb breaks are going to be doing with the card but th- it, you know they bought it and they are going to you know they'll have the card so it's like a card that people will potentially see maybe i mean i don't know if they bring it places or if they have like some sort of display or if they have like a store where they may put it in i don't know what they're going to do with it but the card has been pulled and filth bomb breaks bought the card back from those people uh for a hundred thousand dollars so late Sunday night uh because there was a bunch of extended extended bidding I I I I guess with Robert Edward auctions if any bids are put in on some of the top auctions it goes to extended bidding which means a f- an extra 15 minutes gets added to all the items so like if you listened to last night's episode i the, the auction just wasn't done yet but it was like it was 11:30 and i'm like i can I'll, I'll do a full episode on this the next day because there was some news i talked about on the podcast yesterday but like i said so the card sold for Ended up being for $7.2 million. And it's now the third most expensive sports card behind the 1952 Mickey Mantle that I believe was in an SGC 9.5 and a T-06 Honus Wagner that sold for $7.25 million. So it was... it was, I guess that would be 50 grand, I think. I, yeah, 50... It would be just about 50 grand less than that Honus Wagner card. And I... I have a few different thoughts on the card. One being obviously phenomenal that you know we still have cards that are selling in the industry. We have pieces of our industry, things in our industry, that are selling for $7 million. That's obviously phenomenal news. That is, you know, some people thought that it was going to be the most expensive sports card of all time. And that's kind of my other thought about it. But I do want to talk about that. I don't necessarily think... This is a – um. Hmm, how do I want to say this? I don't think this is a catalyst for the industry to see any type of significant bump the way that like um, – like when the Mike Trout uh, – when the Mike Trout or you know any of these early cards, probably back in like twenty 2020, twenty 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 one, uh, so it's probably at that point. And at that point, some of these high crazy value cards were, or maybe you could even say the one of the PSA nine Mickey Mantles that sold for, um, I believe it was five point two million dollars. I think um, those I felt were catalysts for the market for people to kind of. Um, Come back into the market and hopefully increase some of the prices of certain cards. I really don't think that this is one of those cards that's going to do it. I think it's interesting that's like it's sort of a card that hasn't really been on the radar necessarily. I mean, a lot of the top cards, if you look at them, it's a lot of Mickey Mantles, it's a lot of you know T two hundred six Honus Wagner's, it's a, you know that Mike Trout card that's in that list that sold a couple years ago. Uh, it's a lot of those types of cards, so it's it's good to see you know a card that I feel like maybe wasn't on people's radar jump into this into the conversation now that's the positives I think and I don't even really I don't know I don't necessarily think these things are negatives but like I talked about on you know it was a couple it was I don't know it was a couple weeks ago when this card was really getting announced I was seeing all the headlines and this is the part that I don't necessarily like, and I talk. I think I, I'm almost positive I talked about it on the podcast, and I said, like, where did these numbers come from? Like, who is the one that is promoting that this number is going to sell for, for over the? Because all the headlines of all these mainstream media outlets that aren't even sports card outlets, they were they were some of the sports card. Uh, there were some of the sports card, you know, news breaking people, but then there was like mainstream outlets like I think there was a Washington Post article there was a I think I saw like a New York a New York Post article like there were multiple different articles written with basically the same headline basically they were all saying that this was going to be the most expensive sports card of all time this was going to be over 12 million dollars because the 12.5 is what that uh is what that Mickey Mantle sold for I believe back in 2022 every article everybody was talking about it so like this is the I think it int- it opens up an interesting conversation, in my opinion, for like how much promotion of sports cards should be allowed. I guess, but it, I I don't know. It, it's 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 very. It's I think it's a I think it's a thin line between like w- promotion of this card and like trying to pump up the card and the price of the card. Like, and I think that I think actually it's potentially a good thing that this card didn't break the record because maybe it is setting some sort of precedent that like people that are looking to buy these cards aren't going to buy the card for a certain price because people are telling them to like I think probably back in a couple a couple years ago honestly like 20 like I said 2020 2021 if an article was written like that about a certain card I'm pretty I'm almost positive that the card would have sold for that record amount. Like it, it, it we are just in different a different time and a different era within the market. I think the market has gotten a lot smarter when it comes to these things. Like like I said, you know, I'm I work in marketing. I have maybe more of a um more of a spidey sense when it comes to I see something and I'm like you know, this seems weird, like, for you know, for example, like, <laughs> there's this random, but it's just, like, the Snoop Dogg thing, like, when Snoop Dogg, they came out with that information, Snoop Dogg was gonna stop smoking, literally within 30 seconds, I was like, this is a marketing campaign, like, this is not because everybody was just running with this headline. Snoop Dogg says that he's going to stop smoking. And then like a week later, it comes out that he's doing an advertisement for like a smokeless grill. And it's like, yeah, this, you know, it was the most, it was the most obvious in my head. when I looked at it, it was the most obvious marketing campaign of all time. So it's like when non sports card publications are talking about a sports card, breaking the, breaking the record, In my mind, there's obviously some sort of marketing campaign going on here, and I think even on that podcast where I talked about that a little bit, like, I was wondering, like, where this card would end and, like, if – like, if this card – like, how much money was sort of spent on this marketing campaign and, like, where – if that really affected the price. Like, I don't really know. Like, I mean – you know, all the articles were saying that it was going to sell for 12, sell, sell for twelve million dollars. So if this card sells for twelve million dollars, I would imagine that whatever they spent on the marketing campaign probably would have been worth it. Now, who is eva- who is evaluating this? Who is the person? Where did the mark- Where did the campaign come from? Who who set this up? Who's did who did this? This is sort of the point that I want to try and. I don't know where or who or, or who the original source was or who was the one that came out with these articles or who was the one that was telling people to write these articles cuz it was clear that you know and here's like maybe a little bit of behind the scenes from a marketing thing like the majority of articles about random things on like the Washington Post and these these other uh, these other media publications they're just purchased like you can just buy an article and you can just buy a spot in there and you can get a headline by purchasing it like Yes, they're obviously writing organic articles as well, but, like, you know, other than advertising, I would say a significant portion of the revenue that these media companies are bringing in are like people that are paying for articles. So it's like, you know, it's like when you see like some fake guru or you see some person selling like a marketing course or you see some person who's like this mogul standing in front of private jets and all these watches and all these cars. It's like when you see that they have an article in Forbes or you see they have an article in all or like Yahoo news or something like that. And if you, all you have to do is really look into it and say most of the articles do say this. They say, this is a paid, this was a paid promotion. Uh, I, I don't know if the, I forget off the top of my head if the, if the article said that for this, but if I had to guess, I would say that there's probably, there probably was, like there probably was a pretty good chance that this was a paid marketing campaign. So like I said, let me get back to this other point. So, like, if the if the card sold for $12 million, then yes, the marketing, whatever money they spent on the marketing campaign, I'm sure was worth the money. But, like, it sold for $5 million less. It almost sold for less than half of what these articles were saying that they were going to sell for. So, like I said, it's a good thing. I think that the market has gotten a lot smarter when it comes to things like that. And smarter in the sense that, like, they're not just going to fall for these Media outlets saying it should sell for this much, and then it does, and then that's it. Did because it because people said that it should. It sold for what it sold because the market is always going to be the market. And like, if this, if the card, you know, if if maybe it's actually a three million dollar worth three million dollars. Like, did the marketing campaign boost it four million dollars, and like that doubled it? And they were kind of looking at it. Like I said, I just don't know where I don't know where the money, how much they how much they purchased some of those articles for or what they did. But, you know, it it really is it, – it's something that is a good thing that I think – it's it's good for two reasons. It's good because the card sold for $7 million. That's obviously phenomenal, but it's also good that I think the market has evolved and matured a little bit to the point where you can't just – tell the market what the card is worth the market is going to determine what the mark what the card is worth not someone telling you what it's worth um and i think we've seen that you know i don't i don't know i think there was a trend probably you know in the sports card industry within cards and i mean i definitely did this where i was like this card i think should could be this price like and giving sort of you know market market projections which I don't know. Looking back on it, I, I think I was a little naive, honestly. Like and I think it was easy content to make because you could really you could really just throw a rock. It almost was like throwing a rock into the Grand Canyon and like you or like shooting fish in a barrel, I think is the is the other phrase for it. Like you really could say any card was gonna go up and it would. So I think, like I said, the market has matured, and because just because people are saying that a card is worth a certain amount, the market is what is actually going to determine what that card is worth. Which I think is actually a really good thing, uh, because of sort of what has happened to the market and how it's matured over these past few years. So it's not necessarily new data, I suppose, but uh, Sports Card Investor put out some data from Gemrate uh, that I thought was very. Uh, very interesting, and obviously Gemrate, one of the sponsors or one of the you know our partners here on this show. Uh, we're trying to figure out a way to get that data more on the homepage for sure. Like because Gemrate, they put out phenomenal you know grading data, and I think grading in this day and age is one of the more important parts of sports cards. Uh, so here we go. Here are the numbers. So we're gonna start from the bottom. We'll go ten. Mike Trout at three three hundred thirty k. Number nine, Luka Doncic at three hundred thirty nine k. Shohei Otani at three hundred sixty k. Derek Jeter at 367K, John Morant at 370K, Zion Williamson at 386K, Kobe Bryant at 518K, LeBron James at 593K, Ken Griffey Jr. at uh, 672K, and then Michael Jordan has a whopping 1.2 million cards graded by PSA, which I think is actually pretty wild. I mean, basically double the amount that Ken Griffey Jr. has. And... The you know, though, I think the you with with like with players like you know, the Luka Doncic, Shohei Otani, John Morant, Zion Williamson. I think those players having that many graded cards, I mean, especially now that looking at Zion Williamson, he's really like it's wild that we're going to see him be on this list forever, probably because I can't imagine you know, I can't imagine he ever drops out of like the top 10. I mean, he's number five right now, but I can't imagine. Any, I, I can't imagine we'll ever see an era within sports cards where a player like, like Zion Williamson comes onto the scene where grading is still, you know, I think now it's, 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 were two prices that are very similar to what they were back then but the prevalence of grading and the the craziness that was kind of going on around sports cards and modern sports cards and i mean even same with john moran i think john moran obviously is is good but i think you know he has, has been having a little bit of issues off and off, off and on the court with some injuries off the court with some of the you know uh weapon stuff that he's been kind of doing which it, you know whatever but the, the the craze, and I think you could even put Shootani and Luka Doncic, honestly, in this conversation as well, just because the 2018, 2019, 2020 players, like, and you, I would, I, you know, I would even, be, I would be surprised, no, if they, if grading, if they had not shut down grading for a significant portion of time, I bet you a player like Lamella Ball would probably be on this list. I wouldn't be surprised if he's somewhere farther down on this list, but as, as some people remember, I mean, it's probably going to be like a, I I almost think that they could make, I I think that they should make some sort of, I think that there could be like a movie made about that era of sports cards. Like, and not even, not like in a similar way, but like when I think of, when I think of that era, I think of like when the LaMelo Ball Prism cards were just about to come out, they literally were just like, yeah, we're not grading any more cards. Like that was like, they, they cut it off like right, right around that time. And it's like, it's just so crazy to think back to that time period and like how you know a prevalent grading was and like how you know the backlog I think is interesting and it's something that I haven't actually seen a lot of people talk about recently. I do wonder if they've one hundred percent caught up. I would have to imagine they're one hundred percent caught up on any type of backlog that they have because like yeah they yeah you know what they must they must be a hundred percent caught up because I got stuff graded at the national and I got did the like the bulk order and it came back and like as much time as they said that it was going to. And, you know, for for even, like, some bulk submissions when you were doing them, it would take, like, six or seven or eight months for some of these. And I know some people that had, like, over a year on their orders to come back, which, granted, y- you know, I think um, some people, if you got them graded through group, uh, submitters like a year you know that could have also been like when you sent them to the group rate right, or when you sent them to the group submitter when the group submitter got them submitted and it's a year from when they actually process the order so like with that backlog it was just it was such a crazy time that like you I almost picture it like that scene from The Wolf of Wall Street when like Leonardo DiCaprio like uh goes onto the trading floor and it's like the the Black Monday or whatever it was in the stock market and they're just sitting there and like everyone's like freaking out and they're just sitting there like oh my god and the like bell is ringing or whatever I imagine almost that was like a day when it came to like at the PSA office when they were just like yeah we're stopping we're not doing any more submissions like I, I almost picture it similar to that where like t- I don't know I, I that, that, maybe that, that now that I'm saying the example out loud maybe it's not as good. But, you know, I I think you probably see sort of the point that I'm trying to get at here with, like, the stopping of submissions and, like, sort of the wildness that went on during that time period. And as much as I, at the time, was like, this isn't really that big of a deal. Like, everybody getting cards graded. It's whatever. It's not that big of a deal. I still don't necessarily think it's that big of a deal, I guess. I mean, you know, I, I think that we... Like, I think people can... People over ex- I think they exaggerated a little bit when they were kind of how mad they were at the time about how much people were getting stuff graded like I don't really think it's that much of a big deal like if you want to get stuff graded fine go get it graded like because now you're seeing like is doing like a nine dollar deal I think with um is doing a nine dollar deal I think with tops like if you gets uh, Bowman basketball or bowman football graded, they're doing nine dollars and I think like the submission was like a 10 or 50, like a Seven or ten day submission, you can do all this stuff, and you get the cards graded and all that. But like, in PSA, I think has gotten a lot better. I mean, if you're doing a bulk submission, you probably could get those back in like two or three months. Like, not really too bad. I mean, if you're getting a bunch of stuff graded, if you're going to get them graded in person, like I said, I think I don't know. It's also wild that Michael Jordan is almost double Ken Griffey Jr. Because like Ken Griffey Jr. has like. Like, if you look at the most graded cards, like, specific cards, Ken Griffey Jr., I think, in the top 10 has, like, six or like five or six specific cards that are like like I know that the, the tops traded PSA ten is like has almost like forty thousand like I know the PSA nine or maybe not forty I think it has like like uh I forget off the top of my head but I know that's like number one like number one and then the PSA nine is like number two and then like the the upper deck card I know is in that list. Like even just the regular uh tops card I know is on that list too. I mean it's really wild like how many different cards Ken Griffey Jr. has in the top list. But then with Zion Williamson you know he's in that top list as well and he only he really has like he's in this top um, graded list and I think it's just interesting like the different cards that are graded by so many different like by PSA like like I said Ken Griffey Jr. has like a majority of his like rookie cards are graded where Zion Williamson really like the Prism card is like the number one card that's graded by PSA, like a PSA 10 and a PSA nine. I believe are they, they're probably both in the top 15 of total graded. Uh, but other than that, I mean, those are like the big ones. And then, like I said, Ken Griffey Jr. But then you look at like Michael Jordan and his cards are really not like, there aren't like a ton of them on this list. Like obviously the 19... uh his, like, his Fleer rookie is going to be high up there, but it's not, like, if you look at that card compared to the rest of his cards throughout his career, and the rest of the cards of players on that list, like, it's not really that high, like, if you you look at it, to be honest, like, even the PSA 10, there's only, there isn't really that many of them compared to, like I said, the Ken Griffey Jr., or the, um, the Ken Griffey, any of the Ken Griffey Jr. cards, or, like, the Zion Williamson prism, or, like, the Ja prism, or, I mean, even the Luca prism, I think, I just look at that, and, you know, the other thing that I look at, too, is I say, look at how many cards were graded of those players. Like, I, this is a statistic that I know I'll never end up getting, but I really would love to know at some point, is, like, what is the percentage of cards that aren't graded? Like, how many Zion cards are there out there that just aren't graded? Like, if he has, like, um, if he has... What's if he has over three hundred and eighty six thousand cards graded by PSA? Like, how many cards aren't graded? Like, is that only like is that five percent? Is that like ten percent? Like, is that one percent? Because I mean, if it, I just don't even know what that number could be. And I mean, same with Luca. I mean, like, I wonder. You know, he his his print runs were probably a little bit lower than Zion's, but like they they were still creeping up there. Like, if you look at uh, total PSA Prism graded cards, like if you look at those numbers you're gonna see like the jump from t- Tatum's year in 2017 to Luka's year in 2018 is like a pretty significant jump which is it's crazy that that happened and then also sort of the the craze of sports cards kind of followed that and like people kind of looked at that card as sort of like the card to buy but like if you look at like like I said the Tatum there's like there is like a only a portional percentage of that card that's ever graded or that was graded the Prism card compared to the Luca card. So I just think looking at these numbers overall, you know, I, I, I'll i be interested in 10 years if we ever see how much we see this list really change, like, because I think we did see the perfect storm of, like, popularity within sports cards, popularity within specific players, and then obviously, you know, with the pandemic, I mean, Zion really had, like, the the perfect storm of, like, you know, being that number one prospect and then going into the NBA and then getting injured kind of early on his career and then coming in and playing really well and having the super hyped card. And then the pandemic happened and they stopped playing. So like then you have the whole summer of people just being like, oh, Zion, I can't wait to to see Zion getting back out there. And then people are just getting all of his cards and they're sending in grading. So it was really was like that 2019 year, I think, is going to be a very interesting year when we look back on in sports cards, because like, I don't know, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if a player like Kobe white is in the top 20, like the 2019 year, I think is just going to be such an interesting year to look back on in sports cards. And it's, it's really going to be one that I don't even think we know the full extent to how many of these cards were really produced. You know, and maybe we'll get the percentage, maybe we'll find out eventually what the print runs are, but I'm not holding my breath, but like, I, like I said, I think that there is a significant portion of these cards that were that were sent to PSA, and clearly those are coming through kind of with these grading numbers. So I definitely suggest going to check out this podcast. Uh, I think it was last Wednesday uh Bill Simmons has you know his podcast on the ringer. I believe he. Does have timestamps in the episodes, but I think the, the interview with Michael Rubin starts at around fifty four minutes. He's a long podcast, so fifty four minutes is when the Michael Rubin podcast starts. I would definitely. I mean, I don't know. I thought I listened to. It, I thought it was really interesting. This was actually a clip that I was pull, that was pulled from uh, somebody on TikTok. It was Ripping Wax, who is somebody that I uh, who've who I've known for a while. I met him at the National a couple times. He posted this clip originally on TikTok. I did speed the clip up to like one point five speed, just so that way we could get the whole clip in. Uh, but I'm gonna start. I'm gonna play the clip right now, and then after the clip, I'm gonna tell you some of my thoughts about it.
1: Yeah, one of the things now, and it's not with you guys necessarily, but just like these box breaks, it's a whole thing now about did they fake? Did they fake that one? Oh, how did that person end up with the card yeah, in this box? Yeah, and yeah, here's what I tell you. So, so how do you how do you fix that? So let me yeah. good about it. So, so first of all, breaking is a big part of the collectibles industry. If a collector doesn't, it's a big part of fanatics life. Correct. And, and if a collector doesn't like that, then they're just not being realistic. Because you say there are three distribution points uh, for primary cards, yeah. right? Breakers hobby shops and retails like a, you know, a Walmart or a Target. That's been, and before it was hobby shops and the retails, it wasn't um, the breakers. The breakers now have a, you know, important, you know, and, and by the way, it's, it's, it's great marketing. So, you know, for us, um, we understand the math that if you take like, you know, a big breaker and one guy's doing 15% of the business, they're going to get 15% of like the cards. So what we did, people always question the integrity yeah. of what we do. So- this year for the first time, we said, hey, let's take our auditor. I think we hired Deloitte and Touche. It wasn't Deloitte and Tush. One of the audits, we're gonna hire you. I think it is Deloitte and Touche. We're gonna hire you. We're gonna pay you to audit all the results the same way the NBA audits their draft lottery. Oh, that's cool. And we did that this year. Okay. Now we haven't really broadcast, but we started doing that this past year. We now have Deloitte and Touche coming in, auditing everything to make sure that everything is random as it's advertised. So that was a great thing for us to do. We just added a cost for the authenticity of the hobby. Does everyone know we did that? No. Did we make a big deal out of it? No. But it's important to do things like that? Absolutely. I, I always say anytime someone has a right, we should listen to it, figure out whether they're right or wrong. If they're right, we should act on it. If they're wrong, we should still hear the perspective.
0: I think that there's two. I mean, I have two main takeaways from that clip. Uh, I think one is that they have clearly included uh, breakers. Obviously, I think it's pretty obvious, like, especially because with Fanatics Live, they've clearly included breakers in the three ways of, you know, he talked about the three ways of distribution. You got hobby shops, you got retail shops. Uh, and then now you have you're there, including breakers in that conversation now, um, and I think that seems fairly obvious to me. If I'm going to be honest, like we've seen breakers become more and more popular, and I think it's it's just a different way for people to enjoy sports cards. And I get that for most collectors or people who are in in the hobby, maybe they don't like. Breaking because, you know, I I don't know, I think it maybe has, there are maybe some negatives, maybe it has drawn up the price of some certain boxes, but overall, like, I just don't see, the, the price of boxes for certain products, I think is pretty high, and I think pretty unrealistic for what you're actually getting in the box, and I would like to see that price come down, to be honest, but, like, at this point in the sports card industry, like, I find it pretty hard to argue that, like, pricing of sports cards is really, like, Especially at this point, like if you were, if we were talking a couple of years ago, maybe we can make the argument that it was everything was overpriced. I think you can find cards nowadays, uh, and I understand that you know whatever you can't find some of the the big big you know big big products, but you can find any top's flagship. I mean, with Panini, with basketball and football, you can find basically any product now. So I don't think that's necessarily like I don't think you can make the argument that those cards are too expensive nowadays. Like you can find top players in their PSA 10s for most sports, and I don't think breaking necessarily has anything to do with that, um, with the pricing of singles, but, like, you can find boxes of any football or basketball product for, you know, for retail price nowadays. I mean, realistically, like, if you want to buy them online, sure, you might, you might have to pay a little bit of a premium, but, like, That's you know that's the price of if you're trying to buy the stuff online. I think and that's just I I'd I'd use the term that's the price of doing business. Um, And that's sort of what I think it is. And sometimes like you know that's the price of doing business within sports cards. I do think I understand if you're looking at this from. I don't know, a hobby shop's perspective, maybe they don't have the same, or you're looking at somebody who has, you know, made their living in sports cards. Things change, and that's kind of the other thing with this industry. It's like, it's constantly changing, which some people may not like that. I think it is good for people who are enjoy doing business and all these types of things. But uh, the, other, the other very interesting piece was that... Fanatics hired a uh, – they hired an auditing agency, which I believe is just the agency that they use to audit probably everything within their business. Um, now, I did think the one funny part that Michael Rubin said on there was like he he said that they did this, and he goes, oh, but they, you know, have we promoted it? Have we talked about it? No, not really. And it's like, well, dude, you're talking about it on like one of the biggest podcasts, one of the biggest sports podcasts in the world. So I think at this point – I, I would imagine there's probably gonna be more people talking about it, and I don't know. Fanatics will probably never come out with these numbers, so it's like, what's even really the point of what is the point of talking about it at all if they're not gonna come out with the with the audited statistics? Because it's like, if the audits if the audited statistics are for fanatics to look at, then what's the what is you know what is the point? I mean, I, I, realistically, this audit is probably. He, when I originally heard this clip, what it, what first came to my mind was that the only reason they would audit the business is if they're trying to get investors, and the investors are skeptical that they're doing that they are giving the they're giving boxes away to you know big influencers and all these types of things. That's that's really the one of the only reasons I can think of. I'm sure I'm sure there are other reasons you could probably think of of why they would do audits and why they would want to do it. I mean. You know, as a sports card fan, like the audits are something I've been wanting to see for a while. But it, like I said, if it's it's not something I feel like they're going to come out with, like I just I don't know what you know. They they said they hired auditors to make sure everything is above board. and It's like, but what is being audited? You know, what, what, like we're never going to see these numbers. So it's like again, what what's really the point of even saying it at all? I guess. I mean, I get you know, I see that I I, I understand that you're answering uh Bill Simmons question there when he asks about you know uh influencers and people getting boxes and it's like all you really have to say is no we're not doing that like to be, to come out and say that there's an audit going on it it almost makes me it almost it almost makes me a little bit like it seems like there's a red flag it seems like there's like a little bit of an alarm bell going off in my head like why are we talking about why is the company doing an audit on themselves like why 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 isn't it just a no that's not happening we aren't giving out like why are we do why do we have to bring up an audit and and i think you know i think he, in the interview he probably does allude to that that that's not going on but at the same time it's like the the fact that they're bringing in an auditor to make sure this isn't happening does make me a little bit you know it, like i said it, it, it brings up some red flags in my opinion of like is somebody like who like who is in control of this like this is sort of where i think the audit is going to be good it's like who is in control of this going on like who's in control of the distribution like who you know is it's obviously not michael rubin it's obviously you know a, a group uh, you know the distribution like i've said in the past it's like there the different departments within tops nowadays there are just different departments that do different things. So you know, at Topps, maybe a couple years ago, uh, the you know the baseball was like one department, or like you know whatever other sports was one department, and you maybe you had like one or two departments in there. But now it's like you have each sport has their own specific distribution department, you know, uh, you know marketing department, uh, design department, uh, merchandising department, all these types of departments that they have within Topps and Fanatics. I think are they're just a lot larger and i think it is definitely a good i'm i'm glad that they're doing this audit i don't know necessarily who it benefits i guess because i don't think i don't think they're going to come out with any of these statistics statistics you know especially if like i don't know if something weird is going on like if this audit comes out and something you know who knows like maybe somebody was doing that like who you know i, I would be i would be you know I would want Panini to do this audit more than Tops and Fanatics because I think we've seen more controversy with Panini doing this over the past few years than we have with Tops and Fanatics. But I think those were my main two takeaways from that clip. Um, like I said, it, it was, I think it was last Wednesday when the podcast came out, uh, definitely something you should go check out if you're into, you know, if you like, like listening to Michael Rubin talk, I mean, I know some people maybe, maybe they don't at this point cause he does, he does do a ton of interviews, but it was a good, like long form interview where he went in depth on a lot of topics. Uh, it's on, you know, on, all the podcast platforms, all these types of things. So definitely go check it out. Um, uh, it was, it was, I thought it was a good interview and I definitely suggest going to check it out. Nat Turner put out a post and he said in so far in 2023, they have authenticated and graded 1600, 1986 uh, Fleer, Michael Jordan, rookie cards on top of that. They have failed 447 additional copies or they, they, he said we failed additional that number as cop or fake or, or counterfeit. So year to date, uh, two thousand five hundred or two thousand and fifty-one copies of the Michael Jordan rookie have come in, and twenty-one twenty-one percent have been fake. Which, I guess, one thing that that I would also want to get some data on is like modern some some modern cards potentially. Like I would be interested at a percentage of how many modern cards have been sent in and been faked. I I would have to say no, I don't know. I mean, you know, that that 19 that 1986 Fleer Jordan card is obviously one of the more notorious cards within all of the industry and it's from an era where I don't think those cards are very hard to counterfeit. And I so the fact that the fact that PSA has caught 21% of the of the Jordan cards this year alone, 400 copies this year alone, which is like that seems like a like a pretty astronomical number if you really think about it, considering like how prominent that card is, like the fact that they have turned away almost 500 copies this year is is, is 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 a number that's really hard, a little bit, in my opinion, it's a little bit hard to grasp, and it's like, it's almost, it almost doesn't seem plausible that something like this could happen. Obviously, I'm not saying that turn is a liar, I definitely think it happened, but it's just like, if I, I don't even know, like, where to even really go from here, like, you know, the that Fleer Jordan card is so notorious that the fact that they could, somebody could think that they would be able to counterfeit it, like i mean you know the pricing of those cards obviously has dropped pretty significantly like for the PSA 10 PSA 9 so if you are spending however much you're spending to well i you know you know, you know what i th- i guess i'd be interested in to know is like of those 447 cards like what's the where where are these cards coming from uh are Are, are they coming from, they're definitely not coming from 447 different people, so, like, at what point, I don't think Nat Turner in the thread at all talks about, talks about, um, like, how many of these cards came from this, from multiple different sources, but it's like, they it has there has to have been multiple fakes that were submitted by the same person. And at that point like what do you do? Like do you ban that person from grading? Like it, it really grading has become such an important part of the industry that it I I almost I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you would really do here. This is like I said it's just it's such an odd number. For someone to tr- obviously, if they get them through, like, and that kind of goes to my other question that I maybe have is like, how many how many versions like are fake and made it through? Like, how many how many versions have been graded that were faked and made it through? Like, is there a way? I don't know. It's such a tough topic because it's like counterfeiting. I think in within the modern sports card industry isn't as isn't as prevalent I would imagine from modern cards obviously from these 1986 Fleer and you know probably like the Gretzky rookie any of the cards from like the 70s and 80s you're probably going to look at some pretty high percentages of those cards trying to be submitted that are fakes and it's good like I said it's good that PSA has smoked those cards out and been able to you know stop 400 of them from being graded potentially like I, I I don't know, it's just such a tough, it's such, like, a tough topic to really go through and to say, like, what does PSA need to do, like, because, again, you know, PSA, if, let's say, like, and this is a hypothetical, and, and you know, I guess I, uh, I I'm, I'm, I don't love hypotheticals, I suppose, like in a certain, in this type of circumstance, like hypotheticals, and I do, I do like coming up with hypotheticals, but I don't like a hypothetical where it's like, you're creating like a fake person, like a straw man argument, but it's like, what if you have like a prevalent card submitter, and they're submitting a lot of fake cards, like do you ban them from, from submitting cards, like, or do you have to say like, hey, like this is what's going on with your card submissions, like, what's going on, like where, like I, like, what's the level of investigation they're doing on these fake cards and where they're coming from is maybe my next question, which if you're PSA, that's not necessarily your job, but at the same time, if, if, if five, if, if five, if one person submitted five cards and they all came back as fake, or one person submitted, if one person is submitting five cards, a or, or, or multiple of different cards, and you know, you've got a couple fakes in there or counterfeit, like... Do you have to have the conversation with the person? Be Like, hey, what's going on here? Like, where did you get these? Like, at what? Obviously, I don't think PSA, I feel like there's, you probably, PSA probably can't do that. But maybe it's something that they should look into. Like, should PSA be trying to investigate these fakes and counterfeits? I guess maybe that's ultimately the point that I want to, I guess I want to ask the question to the audience and think about is like, is this something for PSA to look at and say, well, we need to figure out where these fakes are coming from. If it's multiple if it's if it's multiple cards from the same person, I feel like it's kind of probably pretty easy. If it's if it's like a if it's a uh, I don't know or if it's like a prevalent gr- if it's a prevalent group submitter. Again, I feel like that's fairly not easy, but it's fairly uh, accessible for you to reach out to that person and be like, hey, where'd you get this card? Like, we're trying to do, because it's fraud. That's what that's what's going on. Like, it's, th- th- someone is committing, at some point in the process, someone is committing fraud. Now, whether it's the person who bought the card who, who, or who created the card, like, if they counterfeited it, or if it's the person, the, uh, two or three links down the chain of, like, where the card came from, like, I don't know. Like, they need to figure out I guess, where these cards are coming from, because 20% is, like, pretty, uh, 20% is significant, and, again, it's also with this Jordan card, like, how many of these cards exist still that haven't been graded is another interesting thing that I would be, I would want to know, we'll probably, again, we probably will never know, but you gotta think it's probably a pretty, it's pretty high, it's gotta be a pretty high percentage, but either way, I mean, you, you hope that, down the road, maybe the, the, the counterfeiting, if, oh, you know, but honestly, the thing is, like, if there's money to be made, someone's going to try and make it. Unfortunately, when it comes to sports cards, in some cases, like this one, the money is made by counterfeiting the card and trying to get it graded. And once you get it graded, you're pretty much scot free because PSA has become the gold standard of like this card is authentic. You are all set. You don't have to worry. Especially if you get it graded and it gets graded at all, you're good. Like that. That you probably made your profit there. So, you know, I, I guess what I'm my thoughts are like. What's the next step for PSA? If they try and do anything to stop these fakes or if they're just like, well, we just have to be good at catching the fakes and making sure that the cards don't get graded.